Matthew chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible with you, you'll find that in your pew right in front of you. And we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 30. This is a very popular passage of Scripture. You've most likely heard it before. I'll read it for you if you'd like to follow along. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. And if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All of these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Then the young, when the young man heard this, he went away sad, because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. And they asked, Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne you who have followed me will sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wives or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. The word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, what an incredible thing to hear that the things that are impossible for us are possible for you. You are the God of hope and the God of promise and the God of healing. So in these next moments that we have together, God, would you remind us of that, of who you are? Holy Spirit, come and open our eyes to see you at work. Open our ears to hear from you and open our hearts that we might be changed, that we might be transformed. We want to know you more and we want to make you known. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Well, thank you so much for having me here today. I have to say, Trinity and Pastor James, you guys have been our biggest supporters since moving here three years ago. And um, so I don't know how we would have launched Resurrection Life NYC without you, because you guys have just been like wind in our sails. So thank you from the bottom of, of my heart, and I know my husband would say the same thing. Um, so my family and I, you'll see on the screen, we moved here a little over three years ago because we sensed that God was calling us to plant a church in New York City. And he was, we like to say he was turning our gaze toward the city. And at first we thought maybe he was crazy or maybe we were crazy for saying yes, I don't know. But we had a comfortable house in the comfortable suburbs of Dallas, Texas. We had comfortable jobs on staff at our comfortable church. And our kids were comfortable in their schools and with their friends. And even our dog was very comfortable in her big backyard on the cul-de-sac. You get the picture, right? And then God called. And we knew that we wanted to follow him no matter what. Even if that meant becoming uncomfortable, we wanted to follow him. And so we showed up in the city just like many of us have with big dreams and big visions. And we knew that God was up to some incredible things here in the city. And so we were truly honored and overjoyed to get to partner with him in even a small way. We just, we were so excited. And then we had that moment. And if you've had it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's that what have we done moment. Have you been there before? Yeah, a lot of us hit that. We knew that God had called us here. We trusted him, but we had this overwhelming sense of, God, we can't do this. Every insecurity I had seemed to, like, bubble up to the surface. I don't know if you've experienced that before. And I started thinking things like, I am not smart enough. I am not good enough. I'm not strategic enough. I am not spiritual enough to do this. And little by little, fear started to kind of creep in. And as fear crept in, I found myself heading down this spiral of just losing a little bit of hope. Has anybody been there before? You don't even really notice it, but it just kind of seems to spiral down. And, it, and the fear creeps in, and we start asking these what-if questions. What if I fail? What if, what if I made a mistake? What if I actually didn't hear God right? What if I can't do it? What if, what if, what if? And if we're honest, we've all asked those questions at some point. What if I'm not qualified for my job? What if I can't actually get the job that I want or the job that I paid a whole lot of money in school for? What if my marriage never gets better? Or what if I really want to get married, but what if I never get married? What if I can't get pregnant? What if the adoption that I've been working for years on never comes through? What if my kids never come to know Christ? Or what if my kids never come back to Christ? What if I can't pay my bills or figure out my finances or get my loans paid off? What if I'm not enough? What if I can't do it? What if, what if, what if? And we start to lose hope. And we see a bit of this in today's scripture passage. So this rich young man, he comes to Jesus 
And he's kind of expecting an easy answer. He's kind of expecting a little pat on the back from Jesus. Because he's like, what, what can I do to be saved? You notice that? That's the verb he uses. What can I do to be saved? How can I be enough? And Jesus replies, well, <laughs> don't murder. Don't steal. And the guy's like, all right, I'm good. I'm good. I haven't done that. Love your neighbor as yourself. All right check. I've done those things. Anything else? And essentially, Jesus tells him, yeah, you know what? I want you to go and sell everything. And the man walks away sad because he has a lot of money, but it's more the fact that money has his heart. And so Jesus is essentially saying, uh, whatever has your heart, I need you to let that go and follow me. Whatever has your heart, I need you to let that go and follow me. If that's not me, you need to let it go. And for some of you today, maybe like you need to hear that and that's all you need to hear and you can totally tune out the rest of the sermon and be like, I got it. All right, God, I need to let that go, right? But the disciples, they were actually quite astonished when they heard this. When they heard that it was hard for rich people to enter heaven that shocked them because in their culture, it would have been expected that those who had, who had a lot of blessings in the present, like if you had wealth, if you had titles, or if you had land, you must be God's favorites. And so it, it came as a great shock to the disciples to be told otherwise. So they kind of had the rug pulled out from under them. And then they start thinking, well, I mean, if this guy can't be saved then who can? We're all toast. And you just kind of hear like the air being let out of the balloon, like, right? And they're going, no, no, if he can't be saved, who can? And that's when Jesus, he kind of like, he lifts their gaze. And what he does is Jesus steps in and he raises their expectations. And he says, with man, this is impossible. It is. Like, you're never enough. I'm just going to pop this out here. Would that be helpful? Yeah, that's annoying me. Um, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. On your own, you're toast. On your own, you're hopeless. You're not enough. There's nothing you can do on your own. But with me, you're unstoppable unstoppable. I make the impossible possible is what Jesus is saying. And see, as followers of Jesus today, we can live with this unleashed hope. We're in week two of the series of unleashed hope. And one way we can do this is by raising our expectations. I want you to turn to your neighbor and just say, raise your expectations. All right, all right. I want you to do it again, but this time I want you to raise your expectation of how you're going to say it. Do it again. guys are alive today. I love it. So this isn't some kind of self-help tool. I want to be clear about that. This isn't uh, just raise your expectations and everything's going to be fine. You're going to get everything you want. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm talking about is that when we raise our expectations of who God is and of what he is capable of doing, we are unstoppable. 
So think about this. Like if you say, God, I am expecting that you are going to provide this job that I need with benefits. I'm expecting that you're going to do that. What does that do? It puts a little breath in your lungs, doesn't it? It puts a little skip in your step and you're like, all right, I have got what I need to take that next step, whatever that is. And I have a next step to play, absolutely. But it gives me that little, God, I'm expecting you're going to do this. Or how about, God, I'm expecting that you're actually going to help make my marriage great. I'm expecting you're going to do that. Notice, this is not putting expectations on your spouse. Because if you've been married five minutes, you know that doesn't work, right? It's not going to happen. But we expect, God, you are actually able to work with us and make this marriage great. Now, one little disclaimer I do want to say. If you're in an abusive situation... That is not the time to go, God, I'm just going to expect that this is going to get better. No. You know what you have to do there is you have to raise your expectations of how God actually sees you. And he wants you to be safe. And he wants you to be loved. And so that's, that's one thing I just wanted to say today. For me personally, I pray, I pray this prayer with expectation. God, I'm expecting that you're going to heal my son. I have a our teenage son um, deals with Tourette syndrome, and which is really difficult in high school. And so we just pray with expectation. I'm not only praying with, with hope and with trusting, but I'm praying and expecting healing for him. Is it easy? No. It's pretty much a daily battle <laughs> to come before God and go, I'm expecting you. Because most likely it's not going to be in my timing. It's not going to be in the time that I want. But I'm expecting that in God's perfect time, he's going to bring healing. And in the meantime, wow, is he teaching us things about compassion, about understanding and giving grace. It's amazing. But when we raise our expectations of what God can do, there's this little, it's like this little flicker of hope that goes in our, in our hearts. And what happens is this little flicker of hope, it doesn't only affect us personally, but it begins to affect all those people around us. One of the best examples of this is from a very, very familiar story in the Old Testament. If you didn't grow up in church, you probably have even heard this story. It's about two guys one is named David, and the other is named Goliath. All right? And so the Israelites, they were fighting against their enemy, the Philistines. And the Philistines had this champion on their team named Goliath. Goliath was nine feet nine inches tall. Nine feet nine. Okay, so I'm a child of the 80s, so I totally picture Goliath as Andre the Giant. I do, with a beard. Um, Andre the Giant was only seven foot four. So, like, that's huge. Wow. Nine foot nine. And so I always just, in my head, I picture, like, Saul comes out, King Saul of the Israelites. He comes out, and he's like, stop your rhyming now. I mean it. And Goliath says, thank you. That is how I read my Bible stories. Anybody else? No? That's it. So, what happens is the Israelites are on one side of the hill. There's like this valley in between. And then the Philistines are on the other. And day after day, Goliath, this big giant, would step out from the Philistines. And he'd basically say to the Israelites, hey, who's going to come fight me? 
send one of your men to come fight me. And here's the thing. If he beats me, if he kills me, you guys can totally rule us. But if I beat your guy, if I kill your guy, we rule over you. So day after day, um, Goliath would come out and he would just taunt the Israelites, just taunting them. And Saul and the Israelites, they would become terrified. And they'd like huddle up and just out of fear, they would run. They'd run away. And so the Israelites, they were ruled by fear. And we're going to look at this acrostic for fear today. And fear, they were ruled like this. They focused only on the problem. That's all they did. They were like, whoa, they have a giant. We have nobody that's near that size. They expected to be defeated. I mean, he's totally going to win. They had this attitude of self-protection. Let's just huddle together and maybe we can pretend he's going to go away. And they ran from the problem. Does that sound familiar? We can get so caught up and being ruled by fear that that's all we see. But then this little guy named David showed up. And David was actually a shepherd. But David's father had sent him down to the front lines to bring some food to his brothers who were doing the fighting. So David walks up and he's bringing the food. And he hears Goliath taunting and chiding the Israelites. And Goliath is like, who's going to come fight me? And David sees his people, the people of God, huddled in a corner, shaking and afraid to go out. And David's like, what? why are you not, why is nobody fighting? Somebody needs to go out there. Who's going to go fight this guy? And word starts to be spread that he's maybe considering fighting. He's like, I'll, I'll go, I can go. And so word gets back to Saul. And so David goes and he talks to Saul. And I love What David says to him, David says to Saul, the king, Master, don't give up hope. I'm ready to go and fight this Philistine. David's like, I'm going to bring, I I know, I believe that God is going to bring victory to us. And somebody needs to step up. And so you know what? I'll do it. Don't give up hope. I'll do it. I'll fight. And see, David raises his expectations, and he walks into this hopeless situation, and he's like, actually, I don't, I don't see it that way at all. I think God's going to do this. And so um, he's like, God's got this. I believe with God on our side, all things are possible. So what David does next, Saul tries to put his armor on him, and David's like, this doesn't fit. This isn't me. I have to, I have to fight. I have to go in with what God has given me, with what I know God has equipped me with. And so David went in with what he had. He had a slingshot. And so he went down, and he found five smooth rocks, and he just picked them up, and he kind of shoved them in his knapsack. And he's like, all right, God, I'm trusting you. And so he walks out onto the battlefield. So he steps out, little, little David, and Goliath steps out. And he's like, are you kidding me? Like, this is who you're sending? This is who's going to fight me? There's no way he can do this. And I'm pretty sure the Israelites were thinking the same thing. There was probably this murmur, like, who does he think he is? What? He's, he's totally going to get murdered out there. But David 
has something that Goliath knows nothing about. David has hope in his God. He has hope in the God of the angel armies. And so as David steps out, just picture the Israelites. They're like leaning in to watch this. And David kneels down and he takes out his stone. And I just imagine him going, you know what, Goliath? You come at me with sword and spear, but I come at you in the name of the Lord. I come at you in the name of the God who knows my name. You might think that I am surrounded, that I am defeated, but guess what? I'm actually surrounded by the God of the angel armies. It's like he goes, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Do you think he's saying that? It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Would you sing that? It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded. And then he stood and he said, this is how I fight my battles. 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 And I think the Israelites started having church right there. I really do. Because David took one stone, and with one stone, Goliath tumbled. He tumbled. Because instead of being ruled by fear, David lived by faith. Let's look at that acrostic here. So we have faith. David was focused on God. He was focused on God. He anticipated God's help. He's, he's like, you know what? I'm going to show up because I know God's going to show up. I'm going to step up because I know God is going to show up. He insisted on being involved. He's like, what has God given me? Oh, I know how to do this. So I can do this. And I know God is there with me. He took the time to prepare. And he had an impact on everyone around him. Because see, what does it take to raise expectations? How many does it take to raise expectations? You know how many it takes? One. It takes one, only one person. When one person has hope and takes courage to act, it can change everything. Now, I can't believe I'm going to share this story because I am a lifelong Minnesota Vikings fan. Really? Great. Um, and last week, we played the Green Bay Packers, our longtime rival, and we tied, which is always like, what? Um, but back in the 1940s and 1950s, the Green Bay Packers were atrocious. Like, they were a terrible, terrible team. For 11 years, they only won 28% of their games. You know what that means? They lost more than 70% of the time for 11 years. In 1958, in fact, they had one win and 10 losses. Kind of embarrassing. I think we've been there before maybe as well, though. But um, then in February 2nd, 1959, everything changed. You know why? One guy, Vince Lombardi, 
stepped in as coach in 1959, and they had their first winning season in over a decade. And in that year, Vince Lombardi was named coach of the year, and their next nine years were nine winning seasons. They claimed five national championships and even won the first two Super Bowls, all because one person stepped in with higher expectations and with a new perspective and said, you know what, I think there's more to this team than, than we're seeing. So who, I want you to talk back to me here. Who's one person that comes to mind when you go, I can think of somebody who's been this one person that stepped in and just made a huge difference, that made ripples. Can you think of anybody? Bill Walsh? Okay. Whatever. I'm just kidding. <laughs> who else? Abraham Lincoln, yeah. Who else? John Wooden, yeah. Martin Luther King Jr., yeah. Harriet Tubman, nice. So many. I think of Rosa Parks. I think of uh, Mother Teresa, right? Just one person being willing. I would say this, parents, if you have children, you can be that person. What does that look like for you to be that one person in your child's life? If you're here today and you don't have kids or you're a grandparent, I would encourage you, be that person in a child's life that they can go, that person stepped in and they gave me hope. I want to share a story with you this morning of um, a good friend of mine named Brooklyn. I have her picture here. Brooklyn is our new intern, and that sums up. She's the one on the left, by the way. Um, that sums up her personality right there. Brooklyn is a gift to us. She came in. She moved to the city, just graduated college, moved to the city in July, and she stepped in at our, at our, as our intern. Now, as a church plant, uh, that means we have no money to pay an intern. So Brooklyn um, has gotten a part-time job in Times Square working as a host at Junior's Cheesecake. Anyone been there? Yeah, so if you go, you will say hi to Brooklyn, and actually that would be awesome if you, like, stop in and go, Brooklyn, you're awesome. Um, so Brooklyn moved here, and she has a real heart. We talk in our, at Resurrection Life a lot, we say following Jesus changes everything. And so Brooklyn walks into this job, and she's like, following Jesus changes everything. What does that mean? If I'm stepping into this job how do I actually help make Junior's Cheesecake look a little more like heaven than it does earth? And if you've worked in the food industry, you know it's not always um, the most thanked job, right? It can be really hard. In fact, a lot of like the, the culture in restaurants can be quite toxic. Has anybody experienced something like that before? A little bit. Um, so, so Brooklyn walks in, though, and she's like, I, I just want to be used by Jesus in this position that I'm in right now. And so she walked in, and she noticed, like, nobody really talked. There was no community there. And she was like, hmm, well, maybe I should, I don't know, like, start a quote of the night or something and just put it at the, at the host stand and then just kind of to inspire people. She's like, it's probably dumb, whatever. So she did. She started that. And people started noticing. And they were like, who did that? Like, that, that's kind of cool. So she was like, oh, all right. And so she started a question of the night. And she would ask things like, started out with, what's your favorite movie? And she would notice when they were 
on a downtime, people started having conversations. And they'd start having, and she was like, I learned so much from people just by asking them what their favorite movie is. And then the next night she'd show up to work and they're like, Brooklyn, what's the question of the night going to be? She's like, oh, I guess I need to prepare now. And so one night she said, um, and she did this for herself. She's like, I didn't want to be there. I was not feeling like being at work. And so she said, well, let's just do this. Let's keep a running list. What are you grateful for? And by the time she left, that list was so long. And then she went in another night, just as a customer. She wasn't even working. And she walked in, and guess what she saw at the host stand? Somebody had done a quote of the night and a question of the night. And it's just starting to create this new culture there. One person, one person stepping in. And in fact, the managers had a manager meeting. And they said, uh, what's going on with Brooklyn? Like, Brooklyn is single-handedly changing the culture here. And they came to her afterwards, and they're like, I don't know what we've done without you. This is the kind of impact we can have as Christ followers when we raise our expectations and we step into wherever we are. With God, all things are possible. It only takes one, but you know what? It's even better with more. I think of there's a story in the New Testament when there were these four friends and they had a friend who was paralyzed. And they heard that Jesus was going to be teaching in town in one of the homes. And so, so they were like, you know what? Jesus is here. Our friend needs healing. We've got to get our friend to Jesus. So they lift him up on the mat and they carry him to the home and they get there and it's too crowded. They can't get in. They're like, well, what are we going to do? Let's climb up to the roof. Great idea, right? Let's climb up to the roof. And, oh, no, what are we going to do? Well, it's made of clay and thatch, so I think we can dig our way through it. So they dig this hole in the roof, and they lower their friend before Jesus, and Jesus heals him. Not only does he heal him, but first he actually forgives his sins, and then he heals him. Can you imagine, like, being in that room and looking up at this hole, like, wiping the dust particles from your face Can you imagine the look on the four friends' faces, or better yet, the cheer from them when they saw their friend healed? They were like, yeah, Jesus, we knew you were going to do that. They didn't know how, but they had raised expectations that Jesus was going to heal their friend. They walked in and they were like, hey, with God, all things are possible, right? So my question today is, what would it look like for you to raise your expectations? Not of yourself, but of what God is capable of doing in and through you. Sometimes I feel like maybe the secular world has a little bit higher expectations than we do as Christ followers. What is that? We serve the God of the angel armies. It might look like we're surrounded, but we're actually surrounded by him. What if you were the person who arrives on the scene with God's perspective and higher expectations? How would that change your job? How would that change your relationship with your boss or your coworkers? How would that change your marriage? How would that change your relationship with your roommate or your neighbors? What if all of those what-if questions became why-not questions? 
what would that look like for you? Or maybe right now, you're just in a season where you're like, Jen, I hear what you're saying, but I am in a really dark and hopeless season right now. And here's the beautiful thing about the church, and I want you to know this. In those times, and we do, we all get to those times where we're like, I'm just not, I can't find it. I can't muster it up. In those seasons as the church, we can come alongside one another and we can say, you don't have any hope right now? That's okay. Guess what? You can borrow mine. Because I've got hope for you right now. And just like David went to Saul and he's like, hey, master, don't give up hope. I'll fight for you. You can go up to your friends and say, don't give up hope. I will fight for you right now. So church, we need to just come alongside each other and understand that, that we are here to lift one another up. See, not long after Jesus encountered the rich young man, the disciples found themselves in one of these dark times because they'd watched as their friend, their rabbi, their teacher, they watched as he died on a cross. And their hope snuffed out. And just like the Israelites, they ran and they hid and they were ruled by fear. Day one, nothing. Day two, no hope. And then day three came and the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty. And there it was, this little flicker of hope. Like, could it be? And then the story started to get spread. He's alive. Jesus, like we saw Jesus. What? And that flicker became a flame. And then they saw Jesus with their own eyes. And they saw and they felt and they knew that he had actually been raised to life. And with that, their expectations were then raised back to life. And with God, all things are possible. See, when you raise your expectations, you find your hope in the unlikeliest of places. Maybe it's in Junior's Cheesecake. Maybe it's where you work. Maybe it's in your home. But I can assure you that you will always find hope in the cross and an empty tomb. You will find ultimate hope in the one who defeated death in the grave and says, just lift your gaze and come and follow me. So what if we were a people who actually believed, like we really believed that with God all things were possible? What if we did? What if we lived out this hope? How would we pray? I think we would pray with higher expectations. What would our homes and our families look like? What would our city look like? Think about that for a minute. What would our city look like if we prayed, God, eradicate poverty? God, would you do that? Would you eradicate poverty and hunger and homelessness in our time? God, with you, all things are possible. So I'm going to pray that way. God, bring racial reconciliation in our time. God, with you, all things are possible. God, bring revival and renewal in our city, in our time. See, C.S. Lewis said, aim at heaven and you get earth every time. But if you aim at earth, you'll get neither. 
See, we need to be aiming at heaven. Aim at heaven. What would it look like for our city to look more like heaven than it does earth? What if we as Christians, the ones who are signposts to the kingdom of heaven, as N.T. Wright likes to say, if we were signposts and we said, you know what, this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like in the future. So I'm just going to reach forward and I'm going to pull it into the present now and I'm going to live into this. Because he is right here, right now. The kingdom of heaven is right here and right now. What does that look like? See, Jesus taught us to pray a very high expectation prayer. He said, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What if we prayed like that? What if we raised our expectations and then we took an action step and then God did the miracle? Would you pray with me? God, right now I believe that you are stirring in hearts. Holy Spirit, I I ask that you would reveal whatever that next step is, whatever that action step is. God, I pray that you would raise our expectations that you would remind us that with you, all things, all things are possible. You are the God of the impossible. So even now, Holy Spirit, would you fan into flame this flicker of hope? And as we keep praying today, I believe that there are probably some here who are living out of fear right now. But today you're saying, you know what, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to be ruled by fear. I want to live in faith. And if you're sensing that at all, even if it's just that little flicker, I would be honored to pray for you. So if if you're feeling that today, would you just slip your hand up? And I just want to pray for you. Yeah. Father, I pray for all of these hands. God, I pray that you would strengthen them right now, that you would give them courage to act, courage to step out in faith, whatever area of life that might be in. God, remind us that with you, all things are possible. You are able. So God, would you unleash your hope today? Would you raise expectations and would you remind us that you are Lord of all? You are ruling and you are reigning even now, Jesus. So would you embolden us to take whatever that next step might be? We give you our lives. We give you everything.